The book of Revelation says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor, glory, and power. How many believe he's worthy this morning? He is worthy. Turn your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, please. We'll continue our focus on our church theme. Talking about being rooted deeply, standing firmly, and living steadfastly. What I've done... Well, focusing on that third part this morning, this quarter, is living steadfastly. What I've done, I took out a Bible concordance and looked up every time the word steadfast is used in the Bible. Sometimes this refers to God, sometimes it refers to believers. But today we're going to look at another verse that talks about something else other than God and believers. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 6. The key verses of this chapter is verse 18 and 19, please. Hebrews 18, Hebrews 6. 18 and 19. It says that by two immutable things, talking about two unchangeable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge, lay hold upon the hope set before us, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. This morning I talk about the believer's steadfast hope. There is, uh, I believe, in all the passages of the Bible, I believe this is one of the strongest passages on the security of the believer. I believe most of you probably believe eternal security and base your salvation on what Christ has done for you. But today we'll look at verses you probably never considered to give us assurance of our salvation. I have found as a pastor... Chances are every one of us has known Christ as Savior at some time in our life go through doubt, go through questioning, go through lack of assurance. I, I know I did for many years of my life, but here's a wonderful verse that gives us tremendous um, assurance of salvation. And so let's begin with number one. Look at the, God's promise to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham. I think the men are trying to bring it up on the screen. If you would, in your bulletin, there's an insert you can use to take notes with. I encourage you to do that. God's promised Abraham. Look with me in verse 13. First of all in this, God swore by himself. God swore by himself. Verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. What it means here, many times when someone makes a promise, many times they say, I swear. I think when a witness goes before the court of law, they used to have them bring out a Bible and say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, so, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Usually when we swear, we swear by someone greater than ourselves. Therefore, God can swear by no one greater than himself. He swore by himself when he made a promise to Abraham. In fact, let's look at that promise. Hold your finger here in Hebrews. Go to Genesis 22. Here's the promise that God made to Abraham, whereby he swore by himself to fulfill. Page 31, if you're using a church Bible. Genesis, the first book of your Bible, chapter 22, please. Look at me in verse 15. Genesis 22, 15. It says, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, 
For because thou hast done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, verse 17, that in blessing I will bless thee, in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Verse 18, and thy seed, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Notice there's two blessings here. There's a blessing pronounced upon Abraham. He said, in blessing I will bless thee. He said, I will multiply thy seed. God will make Abraham the father of many nations. God promised that to him. But there's also a blessing upon us. Did you see it there? Look in verse 18. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be what? Blessed. In thy seed. Interesting, Galatians says the word seed is not plural, it's singular. And the seed here refers to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So God promised to bless Abraham with a great multitude of descendants, but also Jesus Christ was the descendant of Abraham. And that seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We are blessed through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. That's a promise God made to him, and he swore by no greater but by himself. Then he says in verse 15, and so after he patiently endured, Abraham obtained the promise. Now go back to Hebrews, please. So when God promised Abraham, he swore by himself, but also God confirmed his promise, or I may as you his plans by an oath. God confirmed his promise, his plans by an oath. Look in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 6, please. For men verily swear by a greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them the end all strife. In other words, when two parties come together to make some kind of agreement, so they make sure each one fulfills a responsibility, and usually they swear, I would do my part. And God swore to Abraham that he would do his part. And uh, he confirmed it by an oath. Verse 17, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by a what? An oath. In human affairs, an oath puts an end to all arguments. So too there can be no argument about the certainty of God's promise to us since he confirmed it by an oath. So here he talks about, number one, God's promise to Abraham. Number two, now let's look at God's promise to us. God's promise to us. Look in Hebrews. We're going to see, first of all, the believer's hope is guaranteed by two unchangeable things. The believer's hope of salvation, the hope of going to heaven, is guaranteed by two unchangeable things. In verse 17 of Hebrews 6, it says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed by an oath, verse 18, that by two immutable things... What were the two immutable things that God guarantees our salvation? Look at it, please. These two things that God guarantees salvation are unchangeable. They will never change. It's the reason our salvation is secure. It's based upon the unchangeable things of God. What were they? I'm glad you asked. Number one is the promises of God. The first unchangeable thing that guarantees our salvation is the promises of God. Verse 17 again, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of what? 
Who are the heirs of promise? Believers, you are the heirs of God's promise. That word promise is mentioned three times in this text. Verse 13, verse 15, verse 17, the promises of God. That's one thing never changed. When God promises you something, my friend, you can count on it. God's promises are true. Now, man may make you a promise. You may be a little wishy about that, but not God. The next thing, the next unchangeable thing that God guarantees our hope, our salvation, not only the promise of God, but the pledge of God. Talking about the oath. That's what the word oath means, the pledge of God. And we're in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it with an oath. The word counsel means plans or purposes. What God plans, purposes, when he saved you, my friend, he guarantees it will come to pass, and he guaranteed it by an oath. His promises, his pledge to us, guarantees our salvation. Here's what it's saying. God was willing to give the most ample assurance possible that his counsel, his purpose of plans for our lives, will not change. He confirmed it by an oath. So the two unchangeable things that our salvation is based upon is the promise of God and the pledge of God. Listen carefully, please. Both of these are true. You know why? Because God cannot lie. Because God cannot lie. It says in verse 18 that by two immutable things, the promise, the pledge of God, in which God is impossible for God to lie. Hold your finger right here, please. Go with me to the book of Titus, the book right before Hebrews. Titus chapter 1, page 1678. How many are grateful that God cannot lie? When he makes a promise, my friend, it's good as done because he cannot lie. Titus chapter 1, verse 2, a good, good cross-reference. I encourage you to unline this verse in your Bible. Highlight it. It begins, says, in the hope of what? Eternal life. A hope of heaven. He'd spend eternity with God, which God that cannot what? Lie. Promised before the world began. My friend, eternal life we can be assured of because a God who cannot lie promised it to you. And his promises are true because he cannot lie. Now, look at it, please, so you don't miss it. What were the two immutable things that we have given to us that we could assure us of our salvation? Number one, the promise of God. Number two, the pledge of God. And notice here these two unchangeable things. What do they do for us? Go back to Hebrews, please. These two unchangeable things, the promise, the pledge of God. Notice here, first of all, are Hebrews 6.18, our powerful source of comfort. Our powerful source of comfort. It said that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. The word strong means powerful consolation, that which provides comfort and assurance. I can remember, I think I shared this with you before, but this verse came to mind when I thought of that. After I had my heart attack, Pastor Nichols come pick me up at the hospital to bring me home from the hospital. I'll never forget when he asked me, because he knew, he knew I almost died and death was uh, very close. And he asked me, he said, Pastor, were you afraid? Were you afraid of dying? And somebody said, you don't know that until you're about to die. And I answered, no. Why? I have a strong consolation. I have a promise given to me. 
I promise that God cannot lie. Promise me eternal life. I trusted him. My friend, that brought me great comfort. Even though I, I don't like pain. Nobody likes pain. But I was assured amidst all that, heaven was my home. I was not afraid to die because God gave me a strong consolation, a strong uh, a source of comfort during that time. But notice here, if you would please turn to me to Philippians. This is not in your notes or on the screen. It's a verse God gave me this morning as I was going over this message again. Philippians chapter 1. Keep your finger in Hebrews. Philippians chapter 1. As you turn, my friend, whenever that time comes that you're faced with death, you don't have to be afraid. Because God, who cannot lie, promised you something. He promised you eternal life. And that promise is a powerful source of comfort. It's called a great consolation to you. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, verse 6. What's the first two words there? Being confident. Wow. Right in the alley, what we're talking about. What was Paul confident about? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What are you talking about here? What is the good work God did in us? Salvation, exactly. In Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Salvation is not my work, it's God's work. And he which hath begun a good work. When you trusted Christ the Savior, God began to work. And he created you a new nature, made you his own child. And he which hath begun a good work in you, what's it say? Will perform it. You think God will ever give up on you? See, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done. He does. But what the good work he began, he will bring to pass. He will perform it until the day of Christ, till Christ returns. What a verse of assurance. The salvation I have that God began when I trust him as Savior, my friend, he will complete until the day he, he comes back for me in, uh, one day. What a great source of comfort that is for me. Go with me now, then back to Hebrews. So these two unchangeable things, God's promise and pledge, are a powerful source of comfort. And next, they're a place of protection. A place of protection. It goes on to say in verse 18, said, we might have a strong consolation who hath fled for refuge. The word refuge is a safe haven, a shelter of protection. My friend, when you go through doubts and wonders and questioning, am I really saved? My friend, flee to the promise of God. And look at me, please. Remember, God's promise is something that doesn't change. Never base your salvation on something that changes because you'll never be assured of it. Let me give you two things that people look to for assurance that change. Number one is their feelings. People base their salvation on their feelings. I remember asking a person, they're going to heaven, said, oh, I feel like I will. I thought, what if you don't feel like, feel like it tomorrow? My friend, feelings change, don't they? Some days I feel close to God. Sometimes I feel far away from God. But my salvation is not based upon my feelings. Next, another thing, your behavior Many people are based on salvation on their behavior. As long as I'm living right, I, that's my assurance. How many times do you realize your behavior changes? So don't base your salvation on your behavior. Base it on something that does not change. Talking about the promises of God. Because it is a source of comfort. It's a place of protection, a refuge. And also, these two unchangeable things, it's the believer's hope. It's the believer's hope. 
again in verse 18, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that's set before us. Let me give you some wonderful things about this hope. Please write this down. Three wonderful things about the hope that is set before us. First of all, I love this. It's an anchor for our souls. It's an anchor for our souls. It goes on to say, with verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. The word anchor means a safeguard. And it goes on to say, referring to the anchor, verse 19 again, is both sure and steadfast. The anchor of our soul, this hope we have is both sure and steadfast. Verse 19 again, which hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. The word sure means safe and secure. Steadfast means stable and firm. What he's saying here is this. Hope accomplishes for the soul the same thing an anchor does for a ship. It makes it firm and secure. An anchor preserves a ship when the waves beat and the wind blows. As long as the anchor holds, the ship is safe and the sailor experiences no danger. So with the soul of the Christian, in the tempests and trials of life, his mind remains calm because his hope is in heaven, is firm and secure. That's what the hope we have. So the hope we have is an anchor for our souls, both sure and steadfast. I love this last part. It's Christ himself. <laughs> what does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? He is called what? The blessed hope. It is Christ himself. Look in verse 19. This hope we have, an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast, verse 19, which hope we have is an anchor for our soul, which is, it goes on to say, and which entereth into the, within the veil, whether the forewarner is for us, entered even Jesus. Here's the picture, look at me, please. When a ship went to a harbor and wanted to anchor there to be able to be safe and secure, many times the sailors would get in a smaller boat and take the anchor to a place where there's rocks, and, and to lodge the anchor there so the boat would be secure. Look over here, please. The picture is this. When you got saved, Jesus took the, your, the anchor of your soul and lodged it in the very presence of God. It says the latter part there. It said, and which entereth in within the veil. This is a picture here of the tabernacle. The tabernacle of God had two places, two compartments called the holy place and the holy of holies. They, these two compartments were separated by a veil. And the veil, in the Holy of Holies, behind the veil was the very throne, the presence of God. And the picture is when God saved you, he took the anchor of your soul and took it in the very presence of God himself and lodged it to the throne of God to make your salvation secure. And that's the reason you can say, I know I have eternal life and heaven's my home, not because of anything I do, but rather what Christ has done for me. The believer's hope is Christ himself. In other words, the writer, listen please, continues to use that harbor imagery and recalls the role of sailors who leave their ship in a smaller craft in order to carry the anchor forward to place where it can firmly lodge. It presents a picture of a harbor. The soul may securely drop anchor. That anchor has been carried to the safest point of all, the inner sanctuary of heaven itself, to the throne of God by Jesus who went before us. By Christ's entrance in the heavenly sanctuary, where he functions as our high priest, he has given our hope an anchorage from which it cannot be shaken loose. I don't know about you, I'm feeling secure this morning because I have an anchor for my soul 
safe and secure by the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three. Number three. We saw the promise God made to Abraham. We saw the promise God makes to us. Now third, let's look at some specific promises for the believer. Some specific promises to the believer. The believer's hope and assurance of salvation is based upon the promises of a God who cannot lie. Remember, that's one of the two unchangeable things. So if you want to be assured of salvation, when you go through hard times, difficult times, and you wonder God seems distant and far away, you always base your assurance of salvation on something that never changes. And that's the promise of a God who cannot lie. Let me give you some promises God makes. Some of these you may know, some of these you may not know. These, each of these, are verses on assurance. The first one, minute, most of you know, you need to turn there. The Bible says God assures or promises the believer will live forever. The believer in Christ as Savior, those who trust him as Savior, will live forever. Do not turn to me, you can probably quote this, John 3, 15. Jesus said, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Now, how long is everlasting life? It's life that lasts forever. So when God saved you, he gave you life that lasts forever. When you die, where would you go? You go to heaven. Because God saved me to live forever. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Listen, please. He didn't give you temporary life. He didn't give you probationary life. He gave you eternal life. That's the only kind of life God gives. If you, someone said this. If you're not saved forever, you're not saved at all. Because the only kind of life God gives is eternal life. Do you understand that? Eternal security is not a separate doctrine from salvation. The only kind of life God gives is eternal life. Number two, the second promise. The believer will live forever. The believer will never thirst. The believer will never thirst. Go with me now to John 4. This is the account of Christ with the woman at the well. What a wonderful promise he made to those who believe. John chapter 4. The believer will never thirst. John 4, page 1489, for those using a church Bible. All these promises and assurance for assurance are in the book of John. In verse 13 of chapter 4. Jesus answered and said unto her, the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Verse 14. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him, notice here, underline it, shall what? Never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The word never is a double negative. It means in never, in no case, and in no situation, not ever, never. Now, God's created in every person a hunger or thirst to know him. But the unbeliever tries to satisfy it through the things of this world. Whether it be material possessions, riches, booze, drugs, sex, and it never satisfies. But when a person comes to Christ, my friend, God satisfies that thirst. Jesus the water of life satisfies our thirst, and he says, you will never thirst. Now listen carefully. If you could lose your salvation, then you would thirst again. But those who come to Christ, he said, I would what? In no case, 
in no situation, not ever, never would you ever thirst. That's his promise to you. Next. Oh, by the way, I love what the woman said. Look in verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. I like it, don't you? Of course, the water of life was he himself. Let her see the next assurance, verse on assurance. Promise that never change. The believer will live forever. The believer will never thirst, and the believer will never be condemned. The believer will never be condemned. Look in John chapter 5, please. John chapter 5. Again, these verses are written to those who trust Christ as Savior. The first two words, verily, verily, which in old English means verily, verily, means truthfully, truthfully, or this is truth, this is truth. Christ said, John 5, 24, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and what? Believeth on him that sent me. Notice here, has, notice the word hath is present tense. He presently has everlasting life. And underline it, please. And shall not come in the condemnation. Now that you're saved, you will never be condemned by God. But it's passed from death unto life. Romans 8, 1. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a promise. When you think of people being condemned to hell, if you believe in Christ, you will never be condemned. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. That's God's promise. It will not change. The next promise. Two more and we're about done. The next promise. The believer will live forever. The believer will never thirst. The believer will never be condemned. And letter D, the believer will never hunger. The believer will never hunger. Not talking about physical hunger, but spiritual hunger. John 6, please. John chapter 6. Turn there, please. John 6, 33. The believer will never hunger. In verse 33, for the bread of God is which cometh down from heaven. Excuse me, the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Verse 34, then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us his bread. Verse 35, Jesus answered unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me, what's it say? Shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Again, unbelievers have hunger and thirst. And only God can satisfy it. Only Christ can satisfy it. When we come to Christ, my friend, he satisfies our thirst and satisfies our hunger. And Mrs. said, it become like a water that's springing up to everlasting life, constantly satisfies. And so what our heart bleeds for in Christ, for unbelievers, can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ. And God said, when you come to him, you will live forever. My friend, you'll never thirst again. You'll never hunger again. Not talking about physically, but spiritually, because he satisfies, never be condemned. And the last one is my favorite of all the promises. Most of you know this. Go to John chapter 10. But I want to cover it because it says the same thing. Every one of these says, shall never, shall never hunger, shall never thirst, shall never be condemned. And this one is that the believer will never go to hell. How many are grateful for that? I believe in hell. I believe in heaven. Hell is an awful, terrible place. It is the judgment of God upon sinners for those who reject Christ as Savior. And God said, when you believe in Christ, he promised you, you will never go to hell. John 10, 28. Look what it says here. 
And I have an illustration I want to share with you, not the one you think I want to share. John 10, 28. Jesus said, and I what? Notice it's a gift. I give unto them what kind of life? Eternal life. Read on. And they, those he gives eternal life, they shall underline it, highlight it. What? Never. What's the word never mean? <laughs> that's, not, that's a no-brainer. It didn't mean under certain situations, under certain circumstances. They shall never perish. It means go to hell. Why? Read on. Neither shall any man pluck you out of my hand. Look at me, please. Illustration. Many people picture salvation this way. When a sinner wants to be saved, God, let the sinner represent God in heaven, he reaches down and the sinner grabs hold of God. If that's the case, then your salvation depends upon you holding on to him. And long as I'm faithful, long as I persevere to the end in my faith, long as I keep on keeping on and hang on to him, I'll make it. But if I become weak and unfaithful, guess what? I lost it. Because it's my depend upon me holding on to him. But don't miss this, please. Salvation, God reaches down, and when you trust him, he grabs hold of you. I give you eternal life. And you will never perish. You know why? Because nobody's going to pluck you out of my hand. The God who saves, the God who keeps. And that's the comfort I have. He holds on to me. It's not my faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. It's not the way, what I do, but rather what he promised me. He said, Pastor, I'm not certain Christ is enough. Read the next verse. Verse 29. Jesus, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man's able to pluck you out of my what? Father's hand. I'm under double lock and key, my friend, when you trust Christ as Savior. So the greatest power in the universe is the power that saves and the power that keeps. My friend, what a great promise that is. Close your Bibles. Look up here. What a wonderful verse on eternal security. A verse that Jesus gives us great hope, that hope is anchored to the soul, both steadfast and sure, and none other than he himself, the God who cannot lie to us. So if you are saved, please listen. When you go through doubts, don't feel alone. We all have them. When life gets terrible and things go wrong and things fall apart, sometimes God seems distant. He is not distant. He promised you he'd never leave and he'll forsake you. He's right there whether you feel like it or not. But he promised you, Christian, that he's taking your, your soul and anchoring it to the very throne of God. And you can see that as a great source of consolation. You can see it as a great source of uh, hope and care for you and that is both safe, secure, and heaven because it's Christ. And so when you go through doubts, don't look at something that changes. Look at those two immutable things, the promises of God made to you and the pledge he made to you. My friend, why are they true? Because he cannot what? He cannot lie. If you're here today and you never trusted Christ, my friend, the, the God who cannot lie promises you eternal life. He promises you a home in heaven. Your part's to trust him, to believe in him. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. That's our part. Our part is to trust him as our savior. Most of you have done that. Maybe all of you have. And my friend, we leave here with, with a great source of consolation, comfort, because of his word to us. 
But if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, my friend, the promise God many here have claimed, you can claim this morning by trusting Christ to be your Savior. Let's bow together, please. With their heads bowed and eyes are closed. Remember that promise God said, I give unto them eternal life. That's a gift he offers you. And you can receive that gift this morning by receiving Christ. The Bible says Jesus Christ is life. That Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He is life. When you receive him, you receive eternal life. And when you do that, God says, you will never perish. And neither shall anyone pluck you out of my hand. If you've never received Christ, my friend, why not do it right now? Whether you're sitting in a chair in the sanctuary or at home by live stream. If you've never trusted Christ and him alone as your Savior, my friend, do it right now. And receive the promise of God to you of eternal life. Say, Pastor, I have not done that before. I come every week. I was raised in a Christian home. I listen to the messages, but I have never personally made that decision to put my trust, my faith in Christ. I like to do it today. Why not tell God that? Talk to God right where you're at. And say something like this as you talk to him. Say, God of heaven, I acknowledge, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But I believe that your son Jesus was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, Jesus took upon himself. And Jesus suffered and bled and died for my sin. He died for me. He was buried and I believe he rose again. And God realizing I cannot save myself. I am trusting Christ to save me, to forgive me, and to give me eternal life. I'm trusting Christ as my Savior right here today. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, did you make that decision? Did you trust Christ to be your Savior? If you did, heaven is now your home. That's God's promise to you. He cannot lie. That would never change. But I'd like to know if anyone did that today. I really get excited when I see someone else understand that and put their trust in Christ as their Savior. So if you did that today, I'd like to include you in my closing prayer. I want to pray for those who made that decision today. Let me explain to you, my prayer doesn't save you. Christ saves you when you trusted him. This, I just want to pray for you and rejoice with you because of the decision that you made. So with heads bowed and eyes are closed, with what I said made sense to you, and you trusted Christ today as your Savior, with no one looking around, no one leaving, would you simply raise your hand and indicate you did that today? You want it all? Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? Here's my hand. I, I've done that today. You want it all? Father, since no one raised their hand, I hope that means each one has already made that decision. That's already relied upon the promise that you made to them, and they've trusted Christ as Savior. Father, thank you for the wonderful promises you've given to us in your word. These are a source of great consolation, of great hope, and anchor to our soul that we can hope in both safe, secure, steadfast, and sure. Father, thank you for your promises. Father, now I pray you bless upon each one as we go our separate ways. As we close with this hymn, may we leave here rejoicing in the assurance we have and the God who cannot lie. In Christ's name we pray.